We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we record this podcast today, the Arakwal people of the Bunjalong Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. Hello, Yummy Mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums-to-be and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here Here we go. go. Pearl is asleep. Go, 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 go. (laughs) Hello, Sophie. Hello. How are you, my non-pregnant little friend? Oh, mate, is it nice to not be pregnant? Like, she is amazing. I love her to death. But it is also so nice to not be pregnant. You can bend over. You can pick up a pen. I actually have a Rudolph Fabulous for you. They're thinking about not being pregnant. The first day, I think it was the day I I think I gave birth in the morning and then the girls stopped by the hospital in the afternoon with my mum. And it seems really similar to what happened with you, with Mia and Billy, is Goldie comes up to me and she goes, not anyone in there anymore and points (laughs) to my tummy. And I was like, no, no one's in there anymore. Like she's here. That's who Pearl is. By the way, everyone, I've had my baby. Her name is Pearl. (laughs) When this comes out, she'll be a week old. And then she pointed to my tummy and she goes, why your tummy's not flat yet? I was like, oh, thanks, darling. And I said to her, darling, that tummy may never be flat again. (laughs) It's had three of you in there. I don't think it's ever going to be flat again. But And she like checks in every day. She goes, is your tummy still big? (laughs) Well, sadly, it's like, what, nine years postpartum and my girls are still like putting their hands in my Play-Doh belly and going, look at these girls, look at this, look what I can do. So, And I'm just like, I'm like, surely if I just respond positively, like, yeah, still a little bit big like it'll be fine but gosh they keep you humble don't they they sure do they sure do so it's a bit awkward because usually I would say what have you been up to but we're kind of going to keep that for another episode so we'll do a light one how are you how are you feeling I'm really good today Yesterday was day five and I think that's when the postpartum blues kind of hit for me. I think I expected it on day three and I felt really fine. I got a little bit of the guilt missing the older two girls because we were still in hospital and you know, I felt a little bit like, oh my God, I'm so proud of them. Like they've taken to it so well, but I miss them, but I'm not ready to go home yet. Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, that was the postpartum blues. They're done. Like moving on (laughs) onwards and upwards with life. But yesterday I just had one of those days. Like she is a hungry girl. This chick takes after her mum. She's a hungry girl. And the night before and all of that day, it just felt like she'd been feeding nonstop. Like, I mean, the night before she woke up probably hourly to one and a half hourly, just (gasps) wanting to, and like draining the buffet every time, not just snacking, like full blown Taking advantage of that buffet. Yeah. And then all day she'd been the same. And I just felt like, like, I felt like I needed a nap so bad, but she didn't leave my breast for long enough for me to even lie down. And yesterday afternoon, I was just like sobbing and Nick's like, what's wrong? And I was like, I'm just, I'm really tired. I'm just really tired. And then I was like, oh, maybe, (laughs) maybe this is the blues. But anyway, last night she was, she was great. She was doing like two and a half to three hourly stints. So I felt like I got some good rest in between and she was just over four kilos when she was born. And I feel like it's made her such an efficient feeder. Like she is so, she gets on that boob and she just She's goes. a sizzlers going to town. Yeah. She, she, like, she likes sizzlers, yeah. yeah. And 
the others, I feel like each time I was up feeding them, I'd be up for like an hour. Like by the time you do one boob, you like change the nappy, you do the other boob, you settle them again. And look, we're fresh. We're super fresh. But I was only up for like half an hour at a time last night. And I was like, go, you good thing. She's like, third child, I can't muck around. I'm just going to go for it. And then I'm just going to pop myself back down. And then we're going to just carry on. She's like, mum doesn't have time for this shit. I'll speak to you in a week's time. And I'm like, oh my God, this third child. Child. But yeah, keep, she keep is, us updated. She's going to be resilient because she has hands on her face at all times. She's got toys being popped next to her. It's all out of love, but God, she can't catch a break. She'll have just fallen asleep, and the other two will just be all over her. I'm sure the novelty will wear off soon and it'll probably be hitting and pinching and that kind of thing, but it's all been lovely obsessions so far. But I don't know if it's like, if it's the same with you, but I feel like when I brought Yumi home as the third child, if it was me on my first and kids were doing that, I would be like, please just no one go near my child. Don't touch her. Don't go near me. Like it should be like a four meter radius. Everyone just look down at her, not don't touch her. And when I brought her home, they were. They were putting dolls on her and I was just like staring at her going, meh. What? Like she's not, she's all good. She's she's fine. She'll get used to it. She'll toughen up. My mentality as a parent completely changed and I was oh, way If you're worrying relaxed. about it constantly, you'd get yourself into an absolute tiz. Like yeah. I'm like, if I don't want her to be touched, I put her down for a sleep like in her bassinet, in her room, yeah, that kind of thing. But I'm like, if I'm going to have her napping out in the open, she's going to be touched yeah. and that's just it. So no, we going to do a more in-depth episode and I'm sure heaps of episodes going into the future where we'll dive into, you know, questions about transitioning to three and we're going to do another episode on my birth story. Some of you really didn't want me to have a break at all. I swear she was like three minutes old and we were getting messages being like, um, so can we hear the birth story? (laughs) I'm like, mate, can I like, can the obstetrician finish the stitches first? (laughs) Like for God's sake. (laughs) That was He's only just intense. putting the local in. <laughs> Give me a sec. <laughs> no, nah, I should have been there with microphone. I should have been there to catch it all, but I was not. No, Nick was on multimedia duties, so I'm sure I'll be able to edit together a little clip for you. Oh, beautiful. But um, do you have any updates for us? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We've got a Q&A coming out next week, potentially next week, and we'll probably give everyone an update, but I have been to Bali this year already. I have had my first ever colonic. That was an interesting experience. Um, so we've had a few. And that's not a, that's not a nickname for Bali Belly. She it's legitimately not. had a colonic. So I literally had a colonic because ironically, I was really backed up in Bali. So I didn't get Bali Belly. But when people say to me, oh, you know, you could just get gastro or you could have Bali Belly. No, the colonic literally hydrated me to the point where the lady was like, your body is so dehydrated, it's taking all this water, like absorbing the whole thing in. So um, it felt good. I'll talk about it more in the other Q&A. But, yeah, this year it just feels really good. The girls are really excited to go back to school. Yumi started preschool, so she goes to daycare normally, but she now does two days of the week at preschool and she's absolutely loving it. She went straight into the back cupboard of the room and was like pulling out toys and they're like, okay, well, she is ready. Like she It's is, just another territory for yeah, her to make her own, isn't it? she's pretty much just pissing on different spots and making it her <laughs> own. She's, she was happy. And how's this? I don't know if it's a third child thing, but it was the first time I had ever made her a lunchbox. Oh, She's nearly four. Dumb. Is That's that okay. Right? That's the same with lots of people. I know, but see, we, my kids have always gone to daycares where we've packed their yeah. own lunches. But um, I'm sure lots of people don't pack their kids' lunch until they go to school. That's okay. Yeah. She's not neglected. Well, She's I know, well I felt fed. Like I was it's neglecting fine. her though, and I was like, I've actually, I feel like I need to go show her how to open a lunchbox. And the <laughs> lady was like, Okay, we just we don't go. Just leave her. I'm sure she'll be fine anyway. She was working her way well, around you, it. You hear all those heartbreaking stories of kids that come home with, oh, you know, don't. like all their things yes. not open in their lunchbox and it's because they couldn't work out the yogurt lid and oh, they were too scared to ask anyone for help and stuff like that. So I can't. it is a little darlings. I hope all the mums and dads, if you're listening, that had kids that started school in the past couple of weeks, I yeah. hope that it all went well and you're finding some time for you 
other than the fact that school hours, you literally drop them off, like take a shit, and then you've got to go back <laughs> and get them anyway. Like that's a no joke. Daycare's the win for me. Yeah, but I hope it's all going smoothly. Yeah, absolutely. And this episode, we absolutely love. We pre-recorded this a few weeks ago, and it's with Sophie Walker from Australian Birth Stories. And I loved this chat we had. I was listening back on it yesterday, and it just felt like less of a recording and more of like a group of friends catching up like swapping stories just having a bit more fly on the wall I think a bit yeah we loved it because we chatted about you know running a podcast starting a podcast but then also about birth what Sophie's learned through you know helping facilitate women telling these stories of their births about her new book that she's brought out and yeah I just loved it I felt like it was you know it's not often that you speak to other people who are in the same kind of industry as us because it's a bit unconventional but it was really really fun and it's cool to know that there's other women out there just making it up as they go along as well. (laughs) We love hearing that. We hope you enjoy. Bye. Hello, Sophie Walker, and welcome to Beyond the Bump. We are so excited to have you on today and hear you in the hot seat on the other side. How are you today? Oh, good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's, um, yes, yeah, fun to be with fellow podcasters. So <laughs> it's good. so exciting. And Sophie is the head of and the creator of Australian Birth Stories podcast. And she is actually the first that popped my cherry. I had my first episode ever on, I think I was talking about my postnatal depression of my third child. So that's how I met you. And we are so excited to have you on today. Yeah, I I was having a bit of a listen yesterday to our episode and I think we were both rookies back there. Our sound quality wasn't great. You didn't have your fancy pod and neither did I. I think I was outside. I was outside and the kids, oh, I was in the car. No, it was two things. I think I, anyway, the stress when anyone slides in on Instagram and goes, oh my gosh, I just listened to this episode and it's like in your first 20 or something. I'm like, when we first started, Jade and I were out on her wooden (laughs) balcony outside with the wind blowing. With the wind, her house is under a flight path. <laughs> there's planes, there's dogs, there's Cows. all kinds of things. And I was like, what were we thinking literally being in the wide open expanse? It's literally the opposite of what you're meant to do. But we're so excited to have you here to, you know, chat a little bit about podcasting, a little bit about birth, a little bit about your new book, and basically just to pop you on the other side because you're used to asking asking the questions mm. and we want to hear the answers. Yeah, so hit me. I'm pretty open, so I should be fine. <laughs> you will be by the end of this yeah. episode. <laughs> For those that haven't listened to Australian birth stories or don't really know how it started, can you just tell us a bit about, yeah, what your podcast is and kind of what led to it and how long has it been around for? Yeah, it's um, coming up to seven years, which oh, is wow. crazy. Yeah. Jane was like, we started around a similar time and I was like, I think she was a bit before us. No, you were. Well and truly. Yeah, you were four years before (laughs) us. (laughs) Oh, okay. I hope I've done the maths right. I should use my children. They're the best measure. Yeah. Yeah. But it was after my second. So yeah. And he's coming up to seven. So must be. Yeah. So I started, I think similar to you guys, I just was very rough and ready in the beginning. I didn't realize it was going to become such a big deal in the same way that yours has. So I just recorded the very first episode is my second birth experience, which was markedly different to my first. So I feel like my first birth, my son's now uh, nine. I went in really cocky and confident being like, I know everything. I've read the books. I got the TENS machine. I'll be fine. And sort of 36 hours later, I had every intervention under the sun and it was touch and go for a while. My son came out not breathing. I had forceps and then I lost about 900 mils of blood. So my mum was there. She was at the first birth and wasn't invited to subsequent (laughs) births. She ran out of the room crying. I don't think it sounds like she probably wanted to be invited. Even my sis, my sister, who's a bit, she's a birth photographer and general photographer. And she was at my first birth too. And I screamed at her, put down your camera and hold my leg. 
So I was um, <laughs> pretty classic birthing person. But yeah, that birth really derailed me and um, really knocked the wind out of my sails. Because as I said, I felt really confident. I felt like I knew more than most. Jonathan and I went to the hospital birth class and we're like, look at these novices. They've got no clue. And then we were really blindsided. And I think after that birth experience, I was like, all right, there was something missing in how I prepared. So when I had my second, I just absorbed every birth story I could find. And at that time, was kind of pre-Australian podcasts being a big totally. deal. There wasn't. How did you know what podcasts were? I don't know how I got onto them, but I got obsessed with an American birth podcast and I just listened to all of theirs. But they their hospital system's obviously really different and they've mm. even got different names for like Sintosin and all that sort of stuff. So it was quite different. Like although I was getting different scenarios, which I found really empowering, it wasn't quite a great fit. I jokingly said to a friend like, I should just do an Aussie one that like makes more sense and is more relevant. And then what you a can funny say, joke. I was, I, was at the, <laughs> I was at the mercy and people like I'm birthing at the mercy, which is kind of now how it works. But um, yeah, I didn't, I honestly didn't think anyone would listen. I just recorded on my laptop and I followed some YouTube guides on how to set up a podcast and I'm how the least ecky person. Yeah. Like I'm hopeless. If there's any benefit of your first birth and going through all those things, I feel like you ticked so many boxes that many people that come to you with their birth story, you'll be able to go, yeah, I can relate to that aspect and that aspect yeah. and that aspect yeah. all in one. Not that you have to have experienced something to be able to, you know, empathize with them. But how do you feel like lapping up that knowledge then led you into the second birth? How was your second birth? Oh, my second was, I love to say, my easiest birth and he's my most challenging child. He just took like, he got to school by 10 o'clock today because he had a major <laughs> meltdown. He's like high energy, high emotions. Was it about school socks? Oh, he has that issue with sensations. Mm. We actually should get him diagnosed. So does my middle child. Maybe it's a middle child thing. My younger brother always had that. So he's the third, but he had the crusty school sock meltdown every single morning. Now it's a a shoe level. So if they're too, if they're not high enough, she's like, nah, I don't want to wear them. And I'm like, okay, just bought you brand new vans, but back they go. I know. And you're thinking like when there's three of them, it's like, hang on guys, one person needs to keep it together because otherwise we're all going to implode. I'm trying to hand that shit down. I'm going to the pod. (laughs) (laughs) So I got out of it. He's actually at school now. He went late. I totally went off track there, but basically his birth was fantastic. I was labored at home. I didn't wake my husband up for quite a while. I was just watching, um, some sort of, I can't remember. Oh, I was watching Born Every Luther, Minute of all things. No, I was watching like horrible murderous shows in the dark. <laughs> and then um, I called the midwife, the classic line, and um, she said, I think you need to come to hospital. And I said, oh, I feel all right. And I was thinking I've probably got 36 hours ahead. And she said, no, you've had like four really good contractions mm. where you can't talk to me on the phone. So you need to call your mum to come mind your son. And we went into hospital and I more or less got into hospital and squatted on the edge of the bed and he out he came. And my third wasn't quite as simple, but he, that birth was like, wow, this is how it can be. And I'm not naive to think like that a lot of things are in play. I think I'd birthed before, obviously, and, and it, he was a kilo smaller. My first baby was 4.4, so he got wow. stuck. Wow, yeah, because often yeah. they say and that it is the general rule is that they get bigger, right? Yeah, but I, I probably shouldn't say this as a birth educator, but I drank a lot of coffee in my second pregnancy and I was like, if this reduces his size, then that, that works in my favour. <laughs> We're not giving anyone medical <laughs> advice at no. all. Yeah. I actually outline in the book the importance of measuring your caffeine, but that was my school of thought at the time, if I'm honest. Yeah. yeah. Now, what is your background? So I've studied, initially I did a bachelor of health science and international relations and then I thought I'm going to go off and travel Africa and save the world and I fantasized about working in the fistula clinics in Ethiopia and things like that that didn't kind of eventuate and we ended up living in London for a while and I didn't work in the health space so when I came back to Melbourne I thought oh, well, I'll maybe brush up on my studies. And it's, it was like every managed dog in my field had a master's in public health. So I thought oh, I better do a master's in public health. So I did that when we returned and ended up falling pregnant while I was studying. So I kind of got my last assignment in when I was about 38 weeks pregnant. And I wasn't 100% sure where that would take me. But yeah, I worked in cancer research for quite a while. And while I started the podcast, I was working a couple of days a week in cancer research with um, particularly in breast cancer. Yeah, and then made the shift. Did you have any idea in mind that, you know, when you started, it was going to become this big? No, 
I just did it was a real yeah I just did it for fun and literally I think there was five people listening to the beginning and I still can't bring myself to listen to the first episode it must be so cheesy and bad quality and I literally like bullied people into coming on then I was like I I know that you need to keep the momentum going I knew enough of that kind of stuff somehow like I have to release regularly every week otherwise like no one no one will join and so I was ringing people like the night before going, I need to do your birth story for my podcast. And they're like, what's a podcast? I'm like, I'm just going to ask you a bunch of questions, <laughs> and stuff, which is pretty funny because now I'm like discouraging people from submitting their yeah. birth stories. Yeah. <laughs> like my inbox is about to explode. Oh, they don't come to my inbox anymore, thankfully. They go into a spreadsheet, but there's over 5,000 applications. <gasps> so I could do it for the rest of my life quite easily, I think. So how do you choose? Mm. Yeah, that's what everyone's often asking. I have to be really mindful. There's so many different factors. Yeah, so I look at public and private, then VBAC, elective cesarean, home birth, and I kind of think I did, I've done two home births this month, so I need to do, you know, a hospital birth with wanting to have an induction. I try to really mix the experience up. And then I look at family makeup. So if it's solo parent by choice or same-sex couple or, you know, step families, blended families, that sort of thing. And then I look at location. So there's so many things. And and now initially I didn't ask people's racial background or cultural background on the form. So Mm. I didn't know unless aside from names where you can have a bit of a guess with the surname, but I didn't know people's background. And my kind of argument initially was well all birth like it doesn't really matter the color of your skin and but I think it kind of got raised more significantly with the Black Lives Matter movement and things and I was more conscious to make that shift yeah it was funny because I didn't want to feel like was it racist or inappropriate for me to ask where you're from but it was kind of the other way around it was it was inappropriate for me to not so now I then look at cultural background and try and make sure that I've got a woman of Asian background a woman of Indian background and things like that so that everybody can see themselves in the stories and really those those things do impact birth and Mm. your experience of birth and maybe who you have in the room and you know yeah what the expectations are and that kind of thing. And it's also a part of growth. Like what you were saying before is, oh, if someone listened to the start of my podcast, you know, it'd be embarrassing. And sometimes we laugh about it and go, we'll never listen back. But we've had a lot of people say like, it is so beautiful to listen from scratch to see how far you girls have come in, you know, your technology, the way you guys present, the way you speak to people. And you do, you learn so many different things. You make mistakes along the way, but then you grow. And I don't know, I just feel like this job opportunity is such a a great one. I think that's one of the blessings of having started, you know, three years ago and seven years ago, respectively, because as much as we were a number of years after you, I do feel like the podcast space pre-COVID was a little bit new, like not everyone had their podcast that they listened to yet. And so I do feel like we were able to really get through those teething problems fine Mm. because people's expectations were really low. (laughs) And often when people message saying, you know, I'm thinking of starting a podcast and I don't discourage anyone from doing it. I think there's space for everyone as long as you find your... That it's not in parenting. (laughs) (laughs) No, you can do parenting, but as long as it's not what someone else is, you know, directly already doing. But I do think that kind of the expectation of the quality and that kind of thing nowadays would be more. Like I don't think we could launch a podcast now and be sitting out on Jade's balcony with the dog know, next to us and the aeroplanes going over the <laughs> I think they were more forgiving. But yeah. it's funny, it's such an intimate medium and I think that like what you were touching on there of people listening from the beginning, mm. they feel like, yeah, they feel like they've been part of your growth and um, that you're really good friends. So it's interesting that connection. And I joke, a girl on my team was reading some of my emails the other day she goes, wow, people just go from, hi, Sophie, how are you going to, like, my vagina is such and such. <laughs> and I said, yeah, it's very intimate work. <laughs> There's not much small talk. I've had that conversation with my mum before. Like, I remember the first time that I did a Q&A on Instagram and I, oh, she you know, I'm an open book. Like, my mum's not, like, she's quite a private person. We've asked her to come on the podcast before. My mum and dad have been married for, like, nearly 40 years and I don't think my dad has ever heard her public speak. She's very 
private. Yeah. And I remember answering some questions. Like, I think they're about like Poppy's birth and da, da, da. And I didn't think twice about it. And I remember her messaging me and being like, do you really think they're things that need to be up on Instagram for anyone to read? And I was like, you don't understand. Like I could be at work and all of a sudden I find myself in a conversation about my vagina and how their vagina is after that. Like I'm like, this is no different to, you know, if the the stranger is also open, like I find myself in these conversations all the time. This is just how I am. Yeah, I'm the same. I think when I started talking significantly about prolapse and things, my mum was the same message me. It's like, you know that that's like out on the wide world web and you can't take that back. And like, you never know where you might end up and then that'll be out there. And I said, yeah, but that's the problem. And that's the point because no one has talked about this so everyone's feeling embarrassed and like they're the only one and the more we talk about it just like oh your generation so same yeah same kind of and we're like your generation <laughs> yeah we're having a generation under the rug. <laughs> you got us here yeah <laughs> how have you found people's openness to talking about their birth in depth has changed over the past seven years I think that the whole space the whole pregnancy and birth space has really grown I think I feel like when I started doula was like for alternatives and mm. just home birthers and things it was like why would you have what even is a doula and now I feel like that sort of stuff is common the same with like postpartum it feels like that's only relatively like a common phrase and matrescence is is edging in there now so it's been beautiful to see more and more attention and for people to kind of really be looking at the significance otherwise people like oh yeah you know you just can be a train wreck on the day and you just get on with things and we're like oh we've we're all getting to a point where it is more significant than that and it has such a long-lasting impact I know you spoke to like Dr Oscar Serilac Mm. recently and yeah things like that and opening up that understanding and seeing that kind of men and women Mm. are all talking about it that's been really exciting and I don't think that's accredited to my podcast it's just that a lot of people are talking about it more and it's yeah that's it's really nice and how do you find speaking about birth all the time because jade and i have had periods where we have covered a lot of birth podcasts and they're always the ones that are controversial like i've been accused in the past of saying that i am romanticizing my inductions and i shouldn't do that because not everyone's inductions go that way and oh you know don't talk about epidurals like that oh don't talk about home births like that and we almost need to space them out for our own yeah. sake because we understand you know birth is triggering for people people have very strong opinions, strong views. I think with us, like, because we're not pumping out a specific style of episode, like we will often have something about one particular subject and people sometimes think that's the only, because we've just put that out, that's the only say it's, it's just their story. And we have to say to a few people, we will absolutely have someone else on with a different journey of that subject but for now this is this person sharing their story and it sometimes gets a little bit hard because we're like we're not trying to tell everyone like this is the only way that you can give birth or this is the only way just because this person has come on our podcast but I feel like for you because you have such an array of birth stories you may or may not be attacked Yeah, I'd be pretty lucky. Like I get the occasional, like, you know, you really misspoke there. and But I feel like I can kind of get away with it in a sense is I don't actually talk a lot on my podcast. I I just create the space and I feel like people who know me and have listened to my birth stories know kind of my philosophy, but it's... feels like it's not in the style of my show. It's not appropriate for me to say, oh, I wouldn't have done that then. But I feel like the stories speak for themselves. And I guess because, yeah, as you say, because my format's different with over three, there's 358 episodes. So I kind of have shown all, not everything. I'll never exhaust all the experiences, but I've shown the kind of opposing views and styles. And I feel like sometimes when people are critical of things, I think, yeah, but if you just listen to that, she kind of proved my point that like, if you go in blind and go, with the flow, these things will unfold. And I don't feel like I need to interject and kind of prove that or add any comments because it's just obvious. Hmm. But I mean, I I get criticism for like, I don't bring it up that much, but I specifically don't share free births by choice. Just with my public health background, I just don't feel like it's appropriate for me to promote that. And if people want to have free births, that's completely up to them. 
but with no it's having a birth medical, with no medical oh, okay. supervision. Right. And um, I just think in in Australia we've got access to fantastic hospitals and there's incredible home birth setups where a midwife will come to your home and has all the medical equipment and can supervise you. And it's not something I want to promote. And those people are angry because they sort of argue, well, you've done accidental home births. And I'm like, yeah, but their intention wasn't to birth unsupervised without intervention and they called an ambulance straight away. So I get a bit of backlash from that. But I mean, there's free birthing podcasts. And if you want to do that, then you could perhaps go to that community and and I think at the end of the day, it's like, well, this is my podcast. Mm. And although I understand that it's, I've called it a broad name, Australian birth story. So therefore I need to kind of capture everything, but I don't have to do things I don't want to do. And I think t- tune off, don't listen, don't follow same thing. Don't follow on Instagram. If you find me that offensive, then move on. Have you ever recorded any that you haven't published? I've published. I published one that I took down two days later and that was due a similar kind of thread that she had a home birth and a midwife who was deregistered. Mm. She was deregistered because she wasn't practicing appropriately according to the guidelines and a baby had passed away and I didn't know all the details and she mentioned the woman by name and people like, you're promoting this woman's services and she's got like legal action. So I was like, oh, I don't want to be involved in that in any way. So I removed removed that content. And then it's been one other occasion... Yeah, it's interesting. The only other one that I've taken down is related to free birth as well. I did share that initially and I didn't realize until we were in the interview. And then she's like, and so I just decided to do it myself. And we shared her birth video and she did some very dangerous things in the video. And midwives are like, because the baby was born into the water and she brought it out of the water and then she put it back in the water because she wasn't medically trained and she didn't realize, but the baby had already taken a breath. So she she could have drowned the baby. So I just basically don't want to show anything that's incredibly dangerous. And I mean, vaccination stuff has come up as well. And I did share an anti-vax episode, which I felt spoke for itself in a lot of ways. Her partner wasn't able to attend the birth because he was positive and that was the rules at the time. And things and people like you're promoting that and I said no well actually I've been promoting all the services and all the legitimate medical research that supports you to make your own decision there so those kind of things are contentious so I try and tread carefully there Mm, totally we've had a lot of people reach out especially during COVID times asking why we weren't talking more about vaccination and honestly it's it was a selfish decision in the end because we were like I don't think that we can handle Well, I know I couldn't, Jane probably could, but (laughs) I don't think I could handle, no matter what you say, you're going to get such vehement feedback. And I was like, that's just not something I'm And we're not, we're not very controversial either. Like we don't really want people coming in. Like we, we are all about people having their say and how they feel about things, but we all know that that is probably one of the most controversial (laughs) topics at the moment. And it's just not a space that we want to be a part of. Yeah. And it's not the point of the show too. I feel like too, Sophie, you'd have more pressure having with a medical background, people would assume and take your Mm. points of view more seriously. So it's even more kind of No, they take me way more seriously. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, Jade. (laughs) Have you ever had like a doctor or a hospital reach out saying that they don't want to be named? I had a midwife was mentioned where she said she was friends with the woman I interviewed and I said, and she said in the interview, so I rang my friend Sarah and she just got me onto the MGP program and Sarah's like, oh, my God, everybody knows it was me. (laughs) (laughs) But I love that that that's like the most sought after thing. So it's like you think that that's not a big deal, but that is such a big deal. (laughs) So now with my kind of spiel before we hit record is I'm like, you're welcome to name anyone if you're saying positive things if it's anything controversial like please don't name them just for their own privacy and and you kind of take up that battle yeah we've kind of started editing ours out even if it is positive things because we're like oh do we want to be endorsing like a specific professional off just one person's experience and I would hate for someone to like see an obstetrician just because they or or any professional just because they heard it mentioned once and then what are you responsible if they then don't have a good experience yeah exactly. yeah and you never know like if that professional wants to be mentioned or not so so yeah. let's talk pros and cons to having a co-host and working solo 
How do you juggle it all? Work life, mum life? Not very well, probably. I was answering some emails at swimming yesterday and I said, I'm just at swimming so I don't have the laptop. And she's like, oh, you should be in like mum zone. And then I was like, oh, well, it's swimming. Nobody enjoys going to swim. No, no one does. Yeah. <laughs> can he swim? <laughs> he can. As long as you weren't in the pool. You weren't in the pool, were you? <laughs> no, I avoid that. Chapur Otti, he's like nearly four and I haven't done swimming because I'm like, I'm not getting in the water. I'll just wait till he's old enough to do the independent. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the third child? Yeah. Say no more. It's done nothing. Yeah. What Say third no. child ever goes to swimming lessons? No, they don't. Nah. Your child's got all this to look forward to, so. Yeah, no, nah, we'll teach her in the backyard. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> but um, I guess I have a lot of people that help and work with me, but I don't have anyone else record the show. And people have asked that before, like, would you think of getting someone else to do it? And I'm like, oh, no, because I, like, I'm the brand and I'm the voice and the st- and it's the style of interviewing and things like that. So I don't think I would branch out in like have a co-host, but I can see the definite benefits and being able to like just banter with someone rather than just kind of coming in. Although I find it really hard to kind of find the time with family and get away and a bit easier now I've got the office. Yeah, I find it hard to timetable, but when I do the interview, I love it and I don't get bored of hearing the stories and you go just like right into it. So I, I don't know how I would share that and it would be another, I mean, you guys would also have to like be timetabling between your two families plus the guest so that feels like an added challenge although there's obviously benefits I think that one benefit for us is that often when we're speaking to professionals or people in personal experiences they're probably a little bit further down the postpartum journey than the people you're speaking to so generally we can be a little bit more like does 10 a.m on a Monday work whereas I feel like yours is probably like I imagine a lot of your interviews get interrupted by Mm. a breastfeed or like someone not wanting to sleep or you know you probably have to allocate so much more time because there's so many more variables that you have to work around whereas ours is often people who can set a time and be there at that time. Yeah there's a lot of breastfeeding through interviews with mine and I interviewed a really new mum yesterday I think she had was her first baby was eight weeks old and she had her with her and she like felt the pressure of silencing the baby and I said oh no I edit all that out there's lots kind of burping breaks and then the postman comes to the door and all of that stuff gets edited out so um yeah it's not as smooth as it appears in the final so you still edit your podcasts oh I don't now but it's only really recently that I just outsourced that and that was like silly I feel like if anyone's listening and they do a podcast outsource that from the beginning I used to do it on garage band and it took me like two and a half hours and I used to do it on a Sunday for the Monday show and I'd be like grumpy mum like I have to go and do this Yeah. And I felt like a responsibility. I didn't want to give these really vulnerable stories over to a stranger to edit. But now, funnily enough, Scott, who edits my show, is like in his early 30s, hasn't had a baby edits them really well and all the time in the world doesn't say anything he, yeah but he, he never comments he's like oh holly's episode's ready and not like gosh that was i don't know if he chats to his girlfriend about like god i just like got a really a real eye-opener you know so yeah i think it's just gonna be us for life yeah we we had to get to our wits end before we outsourced our editing too but I ours think- is different because yeah we have banter so like when it was in garage band it's not just here's a question here's the answer it's someone talking then this and then oh hang on we're gonna get that out so our poor editor she's always like okay this person's speaking really fast you need to stop over speaking to that person and it just gets all wild but yeah we put someone in charge of that and she does such a good job yeah it's important but then does she come back to you and say do you really want this bit in or like how do you navigate she knows well she kind of knows now but every now and again she's like oh I know this part was going a bit rogue but it's also like pretty funny do you want to leave it in and often we'll be like yeah yeah leave it in so yeah yeah but so much time saving and then sometimes you don't want to re-listen to it I mean, not that they're not all good, but no, well, we have to re, we re-listen to the draft just to make sure, you know, what we've said is actually not all garbage. And then once we're happy with it all, then we're like, okay, you can send that live. But listening to the draft is the most nerve wracking hour of my week every week. And that has not got any easier. I swear every time I go into it, I have no recollection of the recording (laughs) and 
I'm listening to it again. Are you pleasantly surprised though? I'm often pleasantly (laughs) surprised, but sometimes it's the episodes that you wonder Mm. if they're worth putting out that resonate the most with people. And it's so, it it always blows me away, the ones that resonate the most or or the ones that, yes, some people do message you saying, oh, I actually found the way you spoke about this quite triggering. Or I think no matter how much preparation and thought and analysis you put into it, you can never guess how it's yeah, going to go. Yeah, going to land. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. Now, you've spoken to hundreds of women about their births. Did you say over 350? Yeah, yep. That is wild. So, in, you know, you're, you're pretty experienced in hearing about birth stories. What do you think if someone says, what are the top three things that I should do while I'm pregnant to prepare for birth? Oh, just get educated, I think. Like all the research shows that a positive birth experience is when you feel like you're making informed decisions that are being listened to and heard. So even if I've had women on that have had like the full gamut of interventions, the full cascade, but they knew each intervention as it was being offered and they had time to think, yes, I think it's appropriate that you use, say, forceps now. And they consented to it and then they felt like they had the opportunity to kind of navigate that. And they didn't, they weren't in a situation where like, what the hell are forceps? You know, Mm. they knew that, they knew the knock-on effects of perhaps asking for an epidural or things. And I think statistically, if you go into birth saying, I'm just going to go with the flow and I love my obstetrician or I love my midwife and I just feel like they'll know um, what to do, I feel like people that go in in that situation coming out feeling the most traumatized Mm. because they just felt like a passenger on their own birth rather than an integral kind of decision-making person. And I think empowering your birth support person, whoever that's going to be on the day is also essential. Cause I know myself, I just was nonverbal and I, <laughs> yeah. I just think like, why won't someone pass me the water now? I'm so thirsty. Mm. And you have these like weird thoughts in your head, but if you've gone through a, some kind of birth education together, or you've had really informed chats and said, look, I reckon you should suggest like really hard pressure on my back. I want this, this, and this. And then they can offer them without you perhaps saying, I need this now. And you can just grunt at them whether it's appropriate or not. If it's you always don't appropriate that, to grunt at them. Let's yeah. just put that out <laughs> Or there. swear, whatever works. <laughs> I remember doing this with my sister-in-law and she, I was her birth partner before she had to go in to get an emergency C-section. And I just, because because of everything that I loved, I was like, well, I'll give it a go. She'll either grunt and tell me to stop or she'll say yes. And yeah, you can't speak in those moments of contractions, but I just remember the ice cup, someone just feeding you ice in your mouth. It was just like heaven. And then the cold face washer, just continuously someone just doing that, rubbing the back, doing all the things. So I feel like if I had of I don't know, someone had have educated my husband to do those things and have that, it would have been like, oh, I don't even have to be frustrated, even though I can't even verbalize what I want. You just kind of know to give it a go. How was it being yeah. on the other side? It was I am amazing. so desperate to be in someone else's birth. Yeah, it was, it's really special. I've actually been lucky enough to be um, a friend of mine. I've seen two of her births. All right, show off. Yeah, and um, I'm, quite, I'm quite important. And it's it's really quite, oh, like you're like watching. so different to how you felt in your own. Well, it's amazing because you're not in pain, for one. <laughs> and two, you're watching a life be created. And I get goosebumps because I watched the mother and one was before I had kids, so I had no idea, and one was after I had kids. And both feelings were very much the same as just being in awe of this mother giving her all to give birth and doing whatever she needed to do to make sure that baby would come out. And, you know, every time I would have tears pouring down my face because it like there is a, like, look what comes out. They, they can be units. Mm. It's just incredible. I was at my sister's birth and supported her after I'd had my three and, um, yeah, I was excited for the opportunity, but I think it's interesting how you go into that kind of other world. I felt like when I was with her birthing for the, that day, like I didn't think of my kids. I didn't think of anything else. Yeah. I was just like in that weird birth zone with her. But I remember her saying like the head was coming down 
And I was looking at it going, oh, my goodness, like obviously I've done it. But when you're looking at it from afar and she said, I don't think I can do it. And I was like, I don't know how this is going to actually work. <laughs> I don't think you can and either. I, and I talk about it all day long. But I was like, logistically, when we're looking at it here, it looks really difficult. Yeah. I have actually witnessed many births. <laughs> But professionally, oh. when I was working as a yeah. doctor, oh did you just forget that part I of your life? It, it feels like a yeah. lifetime ago. I, I should clarify that I, I've never been like invited in by someone I know. Yeah, which is a very de- like I've never like watched it or like been the support person for someone from someone. the start yeah. to the finish. I have cried in many births of people that I really didn't know, but I do. I just I, to all my friends out there, I just really want you to invite me to your birth. Who's going to be at your birth? Nick. That's it? Well, I invited (laughs) mum. I said, okay, this is my third. I feel very capable. You know, like I've loved giving birth. Would you like to, you know, this is very, very 99% likely that this will be my last birth. She said, there is absolutely no way I want to be at your birth. I will look after Poppy and Goldie very happily. Why on earth would I want to be in the room with you while you're doing that? You and Nick have got this sorted. You're a great team. No. And I thought, well, the offer was freaking there. I'm putting this out to you. If any of my three girls end up going on to have babies, I would like to be invited. Yeah, me too. Me too, definitely. Oh, Mia thinks she's having five, so there we go. Oh. Surely one of them I'll be invited to. You hope so. Does she realise she has to then raise five people? That's the bit that gets me. It's like the raising of the people, not the birthing. That's the no, it's the, pregnant, it's the pregnancy. No. I could raise the children. I cannot no, yeah. do, do you the know, pregnancy. Do you know what I've noticed? I, I can't do the pregnancy. I can't really do the newborn stage either, but I feel like when you have heaps of kids, you just get to a point where you're like, when they get older, you're like, oh, you don't, when you say you're going to have a baby, you think I'm going to have a baby, like a cute little baby, ga, ga, ga. And then you have them and they get older and harder and talk back to you and you're like, I'm going to have three humans humans for the rest of my life. And this is going like one stealing my makeup already and I'm having that discussion yeah. and I thought I would I just never ever thought you know I'd get to this point because you just think oh I'm just going to have a baby but no they they turn into like full big humans mm. that's scary with attitude, yeah. with attitude. Yeah. <laughs> now how did you feel like coming from the two of us we've had six girls between us did you ever have gender disappointment having three boys especially because you talk about birth all day long yeah 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 I didn't find out what I was having till I birthed the boys so I felt like that was a protective factor I feel like some people like to know so that they can prepare themselves but I thought when I look at a baby like whoever it is that comes out I don't feel like I'm going to be disappointed I'm going to be like oh and I mean I rang after I had my third I rang my mum I was like another boy I've got a boy pack and I felt great about it but I do feel sad to think that I won't have a daughter to support through birth or I mean maybe I would have had a daughter who didn't want to have children but I've I have a really strong connection with my mum and I feel like whenever I interview someone who has a daughter they say I'm so pleased I had a daughter because I've got such a great connection with my mum and I think well I've got a great connection with my (laughs) mum and I can still have a great connection with my sons so I do still have like a reaction to that but people kind of ask me as if I should I don't know like it feels like I'm speaking ill of my boys I love them Hmm. and I think I don't know any different so it's hard to know but um yeah I do feel a bit of sadness to think that I won't have a girl and I really really strongly felt that my first was a girl so it was a bit of a shock when he was a boy and that's because mm. in Thailand a monk once told me that my first child will be a girl so I was like oh a magical oh, monk told me monk. <laughs> I really felt confident what do you tell your boys about the work you do like are you really open in terms of birth and prolapse and anatomy and all of that yeah they know about periods and stuff like I don't know if they fully understand it but I don't kind of shield them from any of that sort of stuff yeah I mean I wear moddy body pants and like what are you doing and uh, yeah so I explained that oh well when you don't have a baby then blood needs to come out and all that sort of stuff and they've seen my Instagram page and things so they've watched births and they've watched because they always say babies come out your bum and I'm like it's not your bum look here (laughs) so they've seen seen quite a lot for for their small little minds. Oh, well, if they go on to have a partner that gives birth, I'm sorry, pressure's on to be a very good birth support. Of course. (laughs) 
<laughs> so have very realistic expectations. Do you feel like because you launched uh, Australian Birth Stories after your second child, like obviously you had already spoken to so many women by the time you had your third, would you go back and do things differently now for the first two? Uh, yeah, I would have. Like, I feel like my birth, my first birth went pear shaped because I kind of gave up. I was like, well, I've tried everything and I'm stuck. I got stuck at five centimeters for hours. And I think that was probably, I mean, you always kind of overanalyze in retrospect that he was perhaps not in the best position, but I didn't really help things there. Cause then I had an epidural. And I'm like, oh, well, if I didn't have the epidural, so I do all of that. But I think the main thing I would have done, it was learned more. I felt like I knew a lot, but I really didn't. And I didn't have any tools in my bag of tricks for that kind of crisis of confidence mid labor. And I was Mm. like, oh, stuff it. You guys can take over. I've done my bit and it didn't work. Whereas when I went into the second, I was, I was prepared for this long journey and I thought, okay, when I feel like I can't do it anymore, then I want to use like combs and things and other different means of, of like pain management before I kind of try an epidural again. So I think it's that mental took it. It was the mental kind of bit that I hadn't prepared for that that perhaps could have changed the way things went. But then I'm like, well, so he was a huge baby. And so you never really know. Yeah. And what kind of tools do you feel like you want to shout from the rooftops that maybe people who haven't listened to a lot of birth stories might not know about? Because I feel like I've only recently heard about the combs. This is the first time I don't even I'm know what that is. What is them it? in. It's just com- it's a bit like yeah. the tens machine. Like you put a comb. You can I mean you like can get comb. birth combs, but just like a yeah, like a hair comb. Yeah, and you put the bristles into your hands. So when you get a contract and you push the bristles into your hands to kind of create pain and it de- in the same way that the TENS does, it kind of sends the pain signals away from the contraction. Oh, wow. You start thinking about the comb pain. So it's just like to confuse your brain in a way. That's not very scientific, but you get what I mean. Well, I get it. That's good. Yeah. It's easy. And anything else that you think people should just like look into that they may not have come across? Well, I get pretty frustrated when people say, I'm only listening to positive stories. I'm like, that's to your detriment, my friend. I mean, I get beautiful feedback from people who say, you know, I planned a low intervention birth. I ended up needing an emergency cesarean, but I'd listened to those episodes and I knew when I raced down the hallway that the next thing to expect would be this, this, and this, or they'd done a plan B and they thought, if I do need to have a cesarean, then I want there to be minimal chat in the theater. I don't want it to be like, how's the weather? I want to keep it in that birth zone. And I perhaps want to use my own blanket for the baby. And I want Mm. to do delayed cord clamping or what have you. But I feel like people that kind of block their ears to anything negative set themselves up to free fall if things do go awry because they haven't entertained or educated themselves about what might happen because you you can do the best preparation ever and then, you know, something can happen in the birth space that, that really changes the plan. So you have to be ready for that. That was so me, actually. I remember when I was pregnant with Poppy, my first, I went through all your ones and I was like, okay, just going to find the <laughs> episodes that sound like everything went like sunshine and rainbows the whole time. And and luckily, you know, mine did go that way. And I remember afterwards, it might have even been a Q&A on Instagram. Someone said, you know, something about preparing for birth. And I said, well, you, if people try and come at you with their traumatic stories, just say, you know, I don't need to hear this right now. This doesn't serve me. Can you tell me about it after you give birth? And while I, I don't think that everyone should just telling you about how their birth went and you should be able to pick and choose what you listen to. I remember it was after Leah Williams had had a traumatic birth and she actually said to me, oh, there is some benefit in hearing from people who did have to speak up for themselves or, you know, or or who did have some regrets from their birth because then you're like armed with more strategies if things aren't going the way that you had planned to deal with those rather than only having heard stories of everything going to plan and you just assuming that that's how your birth is going to go as well. And I was like, oh, that's actually a really good point. And I think the important bit there, though, is you don't want to be doing your shopping at Woolworths and someone comes up and tells you, yeah. oh, this happened to me, which is how it often happens. And you need to be emotionally someone ready you've to listen never to met it before. Yeah, you're like, oh. And I mean, I get that all the time, too, because I'm in freedom trying to buy a chair. And then I give my email address and they're like, well, I've got a story for you. And I'm like, I've heard it all. <laughs> but I think the important and the, and the flexibility of the podcast is you can go, all right, I'm ready to listen to this yes. um, scenario. I'm emotionally ready rather than just having the unsolicited advice that you get when you've got a bump. 
So you have just released a book. Congratulations. Could you you tell our listeners what they can expect from the Complete Australian Guide to Pregnancy and Birth? Well, I've created this with um, one of my co-workers, Jodie Wilson, who's incredible and she's been on the podcast before, but we wrote this because over the years of the podcast, everyone's saying, you know, what book should I read? What book should I read? I'm listening to the podcast, but have you got a book recommendation? And I feel like there are books out there. The most popular ones are kind of the American one that that everyone often gifts. And then there is an Aussie one that's quite kind of comical and and whimsical and that's kind of appeals to one certain portion of society and then there's kind of home birthy ones but we wanted an Australian one that was up to date and all encompassing and it, it touches on a lot of areas that you guys have really worked hard to kind of shine a light on with like HG and we talk about that and we call it pregnancy sickness rather than morning sickness because mm-hmm. I think that <laughs> just makes light of your experience and mm-hmm. I haven't had to walk that path so I feel very lucky but yeah I mean not just like you might feel a bit sick and here's some ginger tea and a biscuit we've kind of got through and really detailed that and helped women advocate because I know I'm sure you both experienced as well that it's really hard to get the care and be taken seriously. I feel like people who pick up this book are perhaps going to be totally new to the birth space and Mm. not listening to podcasts and things and not aware of other things you've shone great light on too like antenatal and postnatal depression and detailing how they can connect with services. So if they're reading that in a safe space, they'll be like, oh, actually, that sounds a lot like me. And here are all the different places I can go or people I can call. So we've also touched on things we feel like have been really neglected in other books like miscarriage. We've got a full chapter on miscarriage because we're aware that you know, one in four women experience miscarriage. So a lot of the women that purchase the book with all the high hopes of meeting their baby are going to fall into that category, sadly. And I feel like on the podcast, people say it starts happening and then they've got no idea Mm. of what their next options are. Like, should they have a DNC? Should they have the pass the baby at home? How how painful is it? What's going to be involved? So we've got kind of firsthand experiences throughout the book that detail how other people have navigated that as well as putting in expert opinions to kind of guide people through. And I mean, I've touched on some kind of hard topics, but it's also got some beautifully uplifting stories throughout and it takes you from preconception right through to early postpartum. So it's a pregnancy manual with a difference. How stunning. So good. Well, they say that babies don't come with a manual, but maybe they kind yeah. of do now. Or is yeah. it the pregnant woman now that comes with the manual, not so much the baby? <laughs> <laughs> we sort of we start the book with I wish I wish I had a known is what everyone says. And I feel like a lot of people probably come to my podcast and probably come to yours as well on second pregnancies and second births and they're wanting to upskill. And I want people who are experiencing pregnancy for the first time to go in knowing all the things which yeah. we've kind of discussed the importance of that. And I like personally, I'm, I'm, I love a good book when I don't know anything about something and I like to just flick the pages and highlight things that I don't know and then go back to it and then you can cherish it forever or hand it down to someone else that's going to have a baby and then you've got those highlighted bits in there. It's just, I think it's a really special thing. So I'm really proud of you and I can't wait to read it. Oh, thanks. Yeah, really excited. So it'll be available now when people are listening, they can pick it up in any good bookshop or you can also buy it from my website if you go to Australian Best Story dot com forward slash book fantastic um, yeah it's lovely it's peachy so you won't miss it oh it's beautiful it's stunning on your shelf it goes really well with our brand our podcast logo yeah very well, nice. yeah, ours always look good sitting next to one another. Yes, <laughs> true. And we're often next to each other in the chat, so we're just looking pretty together. Now, <laughs> to finish off today, can you tell us what are some of the most memorable birth stories or discussions you have had? Oh, so many over 358 episodes, but there's a few. There's a there's a really beautiful one with Natalia. I should have written down the episode number, but um, she has a beautiful home birth, but she's an Indigenous woman and she sort of got in touch with her cultural roots during her pregnancy. It kind of raised that for her and she ended up kind of asking a lot more questions and going having a beautiful kind of smoking ceremony in the pregnancy. Mm. But when she describes her home birth, she talks a lot about getting out of the way of the birth process and letting the baby just birth itself and she uses kind of breathing techniques and I think it's a really beautiful positive one if you're wanting to kind of start to listen to stories it's a lovely one to start with and um 
Yeah, she speaks beautifully. And also um, Jody. so Jodie, who I wrote the book with, who does a lot of work with me, I first met her by interviewing her on the podcast. And it's a bit of a joke. Aww. We've only actually met in person for a coffee once, but then we talk about 100 times a day on the phone <laughs> and we've written the book together. She's in Tassie, so she's not nearby. But um, again, hers is a lovely, uh, she's had four children and a, a real mixture. So she's had some birth trauma and um, she's had an induction, but she's a yoga teacher. So the way that she speaks and um, talks about her birth and just different simple techniques like loosening your jaw and moving your tongue. And I think there's those ones are lovely starting points to kind of yeah, start building your toolkit for birth. Beautiful. That's so great. Now, other than, you know, the small feat of launching a book, what does 2023 look like for you? got a few big things on the horizon. I'm going to get the business certified as a B Corp because that's really important to me to kind of be a climate aware kind of business. So we're going to do that, which will be, it's a time consuming, but yeah, really important step forward. And we're also working on, I've got built such a beautiful, honest and sharing community. I really want to channel their kind of honesty and willingness to share into something that can really create change. So we're going to do a study that's just where it's just starting up now. So to put out a questionnaire to get back some figures and statistics mm. to try and get some policy change that we're all hoping for to get more funding for midwifery to get more continuity of care and yeah to just back up some of the statements with with robust kind of data so that we can try and help improve things so that's yeah a big challenge look at you just changing Is that the world. All? just a bit of research just a book just <laughs> no, you know we- environmentally <laughs> sustainable just i man, think that's the all. research will be hard i got 51 percent in stats. So I'll definitely outsource the statistical write-up. <laughs> that is so funny. And I know you're not meant to ask people this, but here we you are. Know, here we are. We're on a podcast. Mm. Will there be a fourth birth story from you? hundred <laughs> percent. No, no, that's no deal there. No, definitely not. Although it's funny people like, how do you know when you're finished? And I thought like a year after having my third, I thought, Oh, and now I'm just like, that's a hard no. We didn't really plan our third. He was a bit of a surprise, but he, he's been lovely. But it's been, it's been a breeze, right? <laughs> it's been a breeze. No, Me having no. my third child's going to be sorry. easy, isn't it? I'm sorry. So too <laughs> Three was my hardest. And yours, <laughs> no right? No comment. No comment. <laughs> okay. but, but you just never know. It's different for everyone. Yes, and it is. um yeah, you just have to too late anyway. <laughs> We're here. <You'll> find out. <laughs> well, thank you so, so much for everything you do and for joining us on the podcast. I cannot wait to read your book and I don't think I'll be using it for myself, <laughs> but I will be reading the book and then gifting it on to others who can use it as well. Amazing. But yeah. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. Oh, pleasure. I had a great time. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.